The year is 1324. Europe is in the midst of turmoil, famine, and war. Meanwhile, in West Africa, an emperor with wealth incalculable sets off on the most lavish journey ever recorded. This is the story of the Hajj pilgrimage of Kankan Musa of the Keita dynasty, more widely known as Mansa Musa of Mali. Miawezo. Yazare. And welcome once again to... Serum too. I've forgotten the name of the podcast. Africans <laughs> and two stories, bro. <laughs> How do you keep doing that? Is <clears throat> I think it's, it's it's somehow long in my head. Africans and two stories. Yeah, we came up with the name, but I keep forgetting the name. Okay, right. Welcome again <laughs> to Africans and two stories in the second episode of it. Okay, and this one is what. Yes, so today's episode is titled Mansa Musa's Hajj. A lesson in and a lesson. You know what? I'll take that part out. <laughs> today's, t- <laughs> today's episode is titled Mansa Musa and a lesson in greatness. Greatness. Yes, greatness. Like Alexander the Great kind of greatness. Hmm. Well, well, he wasn't exactly Alexander the Great. They're not great in the same thing, but. He was also great. We'll get into that. Okay. So, um, Mansa Musa, just a bit of an introduction, a background to this particularly interesting and lovable. Well, okay, not lovable if you were not in his empire or Muslim, <laughs> but um, this particularly famous and great ruler. Uh-huh. So, Mansa Musa of Mali, uh, Mansa Musa the first, sorry, of Mali, as he is widely known was born as um, Kankan Musa or Kanku Musa, depending on who, which um, scholar or historian or recorder you ask. Um, Kankan or Kanku was his mom's name. So his name was actually, he was actually called um, Musa, son of Kankan. Oh, so okay. Kankan Musa. Well, that's yes. odd. Don't they usually use their dads for that? No, not quite. Um, West Africa is not... We, we didn't always have those sort of thing. There was this, um, they have, um, what do you call them? Clans. Okay. So he belonged to, he was born into, as I mentioned before, the Keita dynasty. Okay. So the Keita clan. Mm-hmm. So some people call him, uh, Musa Keita the first. Okay. Yes. So if you see Musa Keita the first, it's the same person. It's just, uh, Keita has been added because that was his clan. Yes, so modern day we use clan names, surnames of thingy. So mm-hmm. yeah, Musa Keita, the first of Mali, or Kankan Musa. Either way, they are both correct. All right. Yes. Uh, so yes, uh, his mother was Kankan or Kanku, depending on which person you ask. And his father's name was. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure I'm going to butcher this. Faga. <laughs> <laughs> his father's name was Fagalaye. What? F A G A L A Y E. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm so, not going to attempt that. Yeah. That was his father's name. And the, his name was not Mansa. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask. Cause you know, in, in Ghana, the Akan people. Name. Yes. Mansa is for girls. Yes. His father. <laughs> so when you see Mansa Musa, a lesson in greatness, and I'm like, was he a great woman or what? But no. then, so Mansa, Mansa is not a name. Mansa is a title, meaning, mm. um, emperor, king, conqueror, something like that. It was a title given to the rulers of the Mali Empire. Oh. Yes. So, so all the Mansas out there. Yes. Well, 
I don't think there's any connection, but sure, feel free to feel like a like an empress or okay. something. Let's go ahead. Yes. So that's that's who he was, and um, he was he was the great grand nephew of the founder of the Mali Empire, hmm. and he came to power in the year thirteen twelve eighteen after his predecessor Abubakar the second mm-hmm. went off on a journey to find the end of the Atlantic. Ah, I remember you mentioned him in the yeah, previous, in the previous episode. episode. That's true. Yeah. So that's that was what happened. So when he when he set off, he left um, Mansa Musa as the uh, his regent. Okay. So the idea is if he comes back, Mansa Musa steps down, but he went and he never came back. So hooray, Mansa Musa became permanent. Hmm. The permanent nice. ruler. But then you mentioned his what great grand nephew. Yes, of so that makes him a fourth generation ruler. Um, not not quite actually. The hereditary um, uh, what do you call it? The passing down of the crown was not exactly um, father to son, father to son sort of thingy that most kingdoms do. Um, it was it was either the 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 rulers when the ruler died, either the ruler's brother. Or the ruler's son. Okay. I'm not so sure what went into deciding what exactly, um, who exactly was picked, whether the brother or the son. But I think it was up to the Mansa himself. Okay. To pick the brother or the son, because um, when the founder of the Mali Empire died, uh, Sunjata Keita, mm-hmm. his son took over. When that son died, it wasn't his son who took over; it was his brother who took, took over. over. Okay. Yes, and Mansa Musa is actually not even. Um, He's not the son or the brother of his predecessor. He was the grandson of the of Sunjata Kate's um, brother. Brother, yes. yes. So it was like from another side of the family tree, sort of thingy. Interesting. Yes. If this whole family tree is confusing you, um, I would try to remember to include a link to an <laughs> image of the whole hierarchy thingy. Is yeah. Okay. It's not straightforward like that. So. That would help. That would help. Okay. Is there anything else you want to add um, to his bio? Yes. So yeah, that that's uh, that's it. So that's so, what you should know. How uh, big? How big was his kingdom? It was really big. Um, the Mali Empire, when it started off, um, initially was um, modern day mm-hmm. around uh, Mali and Guinea. Um, that was where the oh, right. I should probably also give a background to the Mali Empire then. Yeah. Right. The Mali Empire was formed by a group of um, what do you call it? Mandi speaking people. Mandi. Yes, Mandi speaking people is um a large um what do you call it language family. Okay. Not quite like the Akan. Not 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 in that sense. Okay. Um, yeah. No. Think of it like um, the Akans have a language family. Um, but it's part of um, how do you, how do I put this? It's part of another slightly bigger one. Okay. In the sense that's how the Mandi people are. So uh, modern day Mandi people are. It's not an ethnic group. It's just a linguistic group. Yeah. So there are, there are many people in that group, and then they are found in modern day Mali, um, Guinea, Gambia, Senegal. And I, I think there's one more country I'm forgetting. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's some of them in Sierra Leone too. Yes, yeah. 
uh, those are what the Monday people are found. Oh, actually, yeah, there's some of them are also found in parts of um, Burkina Faso and um, Niger as well, and a bit of Ivory Coast too. They are they are very large. That yeah. Looks, yeah, that's large. Yeah, there are many many ethnic groups fall under the Monday linguistic family. Okay. Yes, so the people who formed the Mali Empire were Monday speakers, and um, Sunjata Keita was the first emperor. Mm-hmm. So the Mali Empire started off not very huge. It was somewhere around modern day um, Sierra Leone to um, a region of Mali. Okay. But then as, as it grew, uh, Sunjata Keita conquered more areas. His um, subsequent rulers also conquered more areas to expand it. Mm-hmm. Then came Mansa Musa. And um, the empire reached its peak when he took over. Uh, so when he took over, the empire was at this greatest extent already, going all the way from the Atlantic coast, um, Senegal side, mm-hmm. all the way to um, the Niger Bend. Oh, it didn't quite get to the Niger Bend, but it was close. The Niger Bend is um, around uh, modern-day Mali and Niger uh-huh. side, around their border, midway through their border sort of thingy. Okay. So think from around Senegal's coast, getting to that point. But Mansa Musa would actually conquer the Niger Bend, so he would expand it into modern-day Niger. What? So in terms of length, the empire was huge. It went all the way from modern-day Senegalese coast all the way to parts of modern-day Niger. That is big. Yes, it's, it was really, it's really big. And so it wasn't, that, that was the, the, in the sense of the length. Mm-hmm. And in the sense of um, the breadth, mm-hmm. it was around modern-day Mauritania, oh. all the way going all the way down to modern-day Guinea. So that was it was a very huge empire. area. Yes. yes, very huge empire. Well, that's that's weird, because you. I mean, so it means he has he had military might that helped him conquer more areas. Yes, the Mali Empire was. It was the most powerful military, um, what's the word I'm looking for, entity in yeah. West Africa at that point in time. Maybe, maybe actually in the 14th century, it might have been the most powerful military entity in the whole of Africa. It's possible. I don't know for sure, but it's, it's, it's definitely possible. They had a large amount of um, cavalry and soldiers that they could call upon at any time when war was necessary. Their military was actually so powerful that... Um, when a scholar Ibn Battuta from Morocco mm-hmm. went down to Mali to visit, once he crossed, you know the the journey is actually treacherous because you have to go through from Morocco to Mali, the Sahara the Desert. desert. Area, yeah. yeah, so it's treacherous and then there are bandits and whatever. But he wrote that once you cross the border into Mali, everything was so different. Like it was just everything was just so secure. There was nothing to worry about, and that was that was on purpose because the Malians maintained a large empire mm. and. Um, what you call it, a military, to make sure that none of that ever happened. They weren't bothered in that sense. Yeah, that's definitely happening. Okay, well, that's wait. So were they always uh, Muslim? So um, the kings of Mali, or uh, sorry, the masters of Mali <laughs> were Muslims. Um, Islam came to West Africa via the Berber traders. Uh, I think the Berbers don't like being called Berbers. There's, okay. they, have, <laughs> they have an actual name. Um, they call themselves the Amazigh. Okay. Amazigh means um, free or noble mm-hmm. uh, people. Okay. Well, okay. Amazigh is actually singular. The plural is um, 
Imazichen, something like that. I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> someone <laughs> could say that's the right word, I mean. Yes. But spell it out so they know what you are trying to say. Right. The Amazigh is A-M-A-Z-I-G-H. Okay. Yes, but it's not, you know, um, the G-H is not pronounced yeah, yeah, the way we do it. Probably not. Yeah. So that that's those were them. So they they brought Islam to West Africa. Okay. Initially, they brought Islam um, through trade. Okay. So the the Amazigh were um, they were traders, not just traders, but um, they they were they really loved that. They were also warriors and stuff, but they really loved to trade because West Africa had a lot of stuff like gold, mm-hmm. ivory, mm-hmm. nuts, and stuff, and uh, also um, slaves. Especially slaves. We, wow. we, <laughs> okay. Uh, we will do we we will do an episode on the Trans-Saharan trade route where we'll go into all those details. Okay. Sometime. That's cool. So that's how Islam was introduced to West Africa. Yes, through okay. trade. So the the kings, the kings um, when they meet the mm-hmm. the traders, you know, exchange goods, and then they converting to Islam came with a certain prestige uh, because yes um muslims in the past uh preferred to you know how the abrahamic religions see you if you are not um, worshiping you know abraham's mm-hmm. god it's yes. like ugh, pagan yes yes I mean, even samaritans were treated weird <laughs> yes so um converting to islam came with some sort of prestige and it came with um uh, the 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 traders were more likely to be open armed. Okay. So that came with like extra business and extra prestige. Mm-hmm. So the rulers of Ghana were the first to start to convert. So the Malians, the the first Malian ruler was actually a Muslim already. Already, because at that point in time, um, Islam had penetrated West Africa to the extent that for some, for many kingdoms in the Sahelian region. I should point that out, not in the forest belt of West Africa. Okay, so the so Sahelian region. The Sahelian and Saharan region mm-hmm. of West Africa, that was where Islam had really started to penetrate. Okay. So at that point in time, the nobility, mm-hmm. so princes, uh, for lack of a better term, dukes, Manxes. governors, yes, all those people, <laughs> they, were conver- they were converting slowly because once you converted to Islam, once one, you got... Um, more links for trade minimal money better trade deals you got more prestige mm. um there is really no downside to convert them yeah because yeah. once you convert i mean they're telling you this is our god our god is better than your god and you listen you're like oh, okay that's that's cool that's cool and then <laughs> your god comes with better trade deals why not i'll take it yeah so they, <laughs> they convert to islam so islam was it was beneficial to convert to islam there was nothing really to lose for the nobility so the common folk were not really um islam oriented themselves so there was this sort of divide oh i see nobility islam common folk still doing you know Mm -hmm. um, african traditional religion for the most part but then they still benefit from the king's conversion of course yeah Yeah. because more trade comes in anyway more trade comes in anyway i see yes so mansa musa but the the thing about the difference between Mansa Musa and the other rulers was that even though they were all um, Muslim, Mansa Musa was actually devout. A lot of rulers converted to Islam, but they're not quite devout. Were they? Um, some of them didn't go on Hajj, the Hajj pilgrimage. Okay. 
some of them convert to Islam, but they still uh, maybe stick to some of the old ways. Uh, okay. Sacrificing, mm-hmm. you know, visiting um, priests and things I mean, like that. The way you put it, the main reason they convert is to be treated better yes. when it comes to yeah. the so trade and yeah. prestige and everything. Yeah. But uh, at the point of, um, I think, before a couple of Mansa's predecessors, mm-hmm. by that point, the reason for conversion was no longer just the trade. People had really come to embrace, Believe. yes, embrace the religion for what it was. So Mansa Musa was actually a devout Muslim. Okay. So yeah, that was why he decided to go, to go on, on the Hajj pilgrimage. The reason we all know him. Oh, yes. The reason the, the most reason, of us know him. Nah, the reason everyone, everyone knows, knows, knows him. When you Google mean, richest person who ever lived, and then you see Mansa Musa. Musa over there. Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's. That's the truth. That's the reason we all know him. Okay. So his story usually out there is just this rich guy that decided to go on a trip and then wreck economies. But then from here, we are seeing that he was actually a devout Muslim, which is why he went on that hard trip in the first place. But then isn't it weird that for someone who is so rich, has so much military might, and oh, he's a devout Muslim. Which means that they believe in alms given. Yeah. But like alms given to the point where you wreck an economy is I mean it still feels weird, isn't it? Right. So um couple of things. If you're confused as to why he mentioned wrecking an economy, we'll get to that shortly. <laughs> and uh second, yes, uh Mansa Musa. So uh, what a lot of people don't realize about Mansa Musa's heart was that uh, as much as he went on the trip to go see the to visit the holy, holy sites of yeah. Islam, perform the rites, everything like every good Muslim should. Another reason he went on the trip was to make the whole world know what was in West Africa. Ah. At this point in time in the world, the whole world was okay. Sorry, not the whole world. Um, Europe was not in a very good place. Of course, from the intro. Yes, from the intro. <laughs> uh, Europe was not in a very good place at that point in time and at that point in time the islamic kingdoms were flourishing mm. all the way from modern day iran to, ottoman to yeah no ottoman ottomans weren't even there yet oh, okay yeah <laughs> all the way from modern day iran through to um morocco and spain at that point in time the moroccans had conquered parts of spain too what that would be another episode okay <laughs> <laughs> so yes um that so the islamic kingdoms were actually flourishing and most people thought of the west africans as you know some backwater you know just get get a lot of good stuff from them but there wasn't a lot of thoughts given to west africa but the truth was the west african kingdoms were on the same level as all the other ones Hmm. so masa musa decided to let them know essentially so that, that was why he went that was why he went to all of those Things yes. that he went away. Okay. Yeah. He could have decided to just be him and then just someone mm-hmm. else and then go on a trip. But he wanted people to know that in West Africa, here lies something great. Okay. So that's where the lesson on greatness comes in. Yes, that's where the lesson on greatness comes in. So he was great. Yes. No doubt. But a lot of people didn't know he was great. Yes. So he decided while executing my Muslim duties, let me tell the world I'm great. Yes. 
or rather let me tell the world this is what west africa has to offer yes yeah yeah okay that 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 because he i mean he wanted people to see that in the corner in this corner of west africa we're on the same level so when he actually goes to on the trip mm-hmm. he passes by egypt and oh, yeah. do you know his do you know the full path he took uh yeah so he he went from um his uh, capital mm-hmm. or what many scholars believe to be the capital of um, the mali empire okay. Niani, is in modern day um, guinea okay so he went from there through to um a place called tuat um <laughs> not twat <laughs> okay twat <laughs> okay how is that spelled uh, T-U-W-A-T That's how some spell it Some also spell it T-U-A-T Okay Okay So it's not a W one No it's okay. not a W one Let's go on. <laughs> So he went through to um, Tuat And that uh, Which was um, up Upwards mm-hmm. And um, Around the, the northern part of Mali And then he From that route He went on through to Modern day Algeria Then um, Egypt okay. Sorry Libya, <laughs> through all modern day Algeria, uh, Libya, and then Egypt. Yes, so he stopped by Egypt. When he actually stopped by Egypt is when all those other things happened. Okay. Yes, so um, about his Hajj, the more details about his Hajj. Mm-hmm. So when he was actually setting off, um, he had this um, grand intention to bring more attention to the Mali Empire. Empire. Yes. So he got up. And well, um, this is where this is where things get a little um, murky, but nonetheless um, immensely grand. Mm-hmm. So, um, Mansa Musa, in the year thirteen twenty four, he set off to go on the Hajj pilgrimage, and when he was leaving, he took with him thousands of um, people in his entourage. Okay. And he took with him several kilograms of gold mm. and carried everything along. Okay. So when he when he was setting off, he set off from like I mentioned earlier, his, mm-hmm. capital. his capital. He set off from his capital Nyani. And when they pass when they pass through a point, now to give you an idea of how large his caravan was, the caravan he took with him to go on the Hajj. I'm going to give you um, three what three different accounts suggest. Okay. So um, one account, uh, all this all this was recorded by Islamic scholars, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So one account says that when he was coming, he came with an entourage of um, eight thousand people. Wow. Yes, uh, eight thousand people. You're saying wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, one other said that he came with um, five hundred slaves. This one didn't mention his entire entourage. Said so he came with five hundred slaves. Sleeps. But then there's one account which claims that he came with 60,000 men. What? And 500 slaves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. So 60,000 men. Yes. And 500 slaves. But um, Arab Arab um, chroniclers are not the most trusted people with numbers. Yeah. I was going to say, how were they counting all that? They give estimates based on what they see. Okay. So it's estimated. Yes. But, but. To give you a very clear idea of why that guy would say 60,000 men, um, one chronicler states that it took an entire day to cross a point, for his caravan to cross a point, in the sense that, let's say if you wanted to walk through where his caravan was passing, and mm-hmm. then like they blocked the road, 
you'd have to wait an entire day for them to move oh, okay. away before you can cross okay, the road. Yeah, I understand his his estimates now. Yes. So some some modern historians looking at you know figures and all of those things. Um, some suggest that in all his his caravan size was twelve thousand. Some people suggest fifteen thousand plus. Wow. Yes. To go on the journey. Okay. And out of those people, the according to some estimates, fifteen thousand plus people. Some of them had. Um, the slaves mm-hmm. had uh, rods of gold. Okay. Wait, slaves were holding rods of gold? Rods of gold. 500. Slaves. Yes, 500 of them holding rods of gold. And not just like thin gold. It was like uh, thick stuff. Thick stuff of gold. Yeah. And it's, they, they actually, so one account says that they were dressed in fine Persian silk. Wait, so the slaves didn't look like slaves? No, not unless... You saw that, okay, they well looks like they're serving this guy. So okay. they're slaves. Okay, so it's not like a, a downtrodden, you know, very shabbily dressed bunch nah, of people. Ah, no, 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 no. Slaves no, were no, no, no. bearing gold rods. Yes, they were and clothed in fine Persian silk. Yeah, they were wearing expensive stuff. Okay. Those, <laughs> those slaves were not regular slaves. That's kind of like the, 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 sli- the, the maid job that if, if someone gave you some rich person's house, uh, you'd be like, I think I'll take that okay. over my, my, uh, nine to, yes. my 8 to 5. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Okay. So that's, he, he went up with that, that massive caravan and um, he went with a lot of gold. So um, some estimates say that he went with um, camels carrying um, 80 to 100 loads of gold, each camel. So we went, we went to them, uh, hundreds of camels, mm-hmm. each carrying 80 to 100 loads of gold. And each load of gold was said to be about three hundred pounds. Oh, so that's that's, that's, a, lot. that's a lot. Like some 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 actually even say that the gold they they were carrying would like blind the blind you like reflect you, in the sun. Yeah, you know, like that that was a lot of gold, like a lot of gold. Oof, that is that is a lot. Yes, that was a man on a mission. Okay. This is this is a very expensive mission. A very expensive mission, which he wasn't entirely bothered about himself. I know, it's amazing. Okay, so why? Where? No, not why. While they are going through these places you mentioned, yeah, was he just like? Because that's what we all know. Like he was going somewhere and just giving away giving money. Giving away money. So um, the records of um, him giving away money really start when he gets to Egypt. In every other place, he stayed there for a few days or something and then moved on. But in Egypt, he stayed there for about three months. What? Wait, hold on. What? Yes. So, it means he started his journey months before then. (coughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossing the Sahara is not something you can do in, like, weeks. Ah, I I imagine that, especially with the load you are carrying. Yeah. I mean, it might sound prestigious and all, but I bet the slaves lagging around a rod of gold was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in the hot scorching sun. <laughs> That's crazy. Musa would be sitting in his palanquin yeah. somewhere. He's chilling. He's he's, yeah. he's unbothered, and you guys are all like laboring in the sun. I mean, they look cool, but then that's that's still a rod of gold. That's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. You're holding it the entire flipping day, ah. and you're walking. In the Saharan sun. Okay, I see why it's it's called slavery now. I mean, that's 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 prestigious, but that's still a lot of work. Yeah, it's, it's still slavery. What, what was that thing? What uh, uh, what what was that thing? Is it a, a decorated 
monkey is still a monkey yes, or something like that. <laughs> yes. Damn. Okay. So he stayed in Egypt for three months. Yeah. Which is where which is where the yes. flamboyance happened. Yes. So when um when Mansa Musa got to Egypt, Egypt at that time was was um was a cultural and trading center like it was a large um mm-hmm. you know muslims from around the world come they're not just muslims europeans too for you know trading contacts and all those sort of things so when mansa musa gets there then he comes to this like thousands of people and a lot a lot of gold so um he goes to meet the king and then they decide to stay for the three months over there so while in egypt he one of the things he does is he builds um homes Mm-hmm. For his people, of and course. then for future Malians who would want to do their Hajj pilgrimage, so that they have a place to stay. Okay, that's so he, smart. Yeah, he he end up not doing that just in Egypt, but like from Egypt through to um, uh, modern day Saudi Arabia, Mecca. Okay, so he'd um, build houses for Malians who are going on the pilgrimage to be able to stay, and then he'd also give out um, alms to the poor. Mm-hmm. And here's where the the most epic part of his journey comes in. Okay. He bought a lot of things because there were a lot of souvenirs and stuff to buy in Egypt. Yeah. Especially in Cairo, where they were at. And his his servants and his entourage also, you know, the gold, they were entitled to some of it. Okay. So he allowed them to spend. And they spent, they spent a lot. So what the Egyptians were doing was the Egyptian traders, mm-hmm. they were dishonest. So if it was something that was maybe uh, two kilograms of gold worth they'd sell it to the Malians at 10 kilograms of gold worth okay. and the Malians were I mean they've they, not, they were they were unscathed in the whole thing yeah and they've, they've never been to Egypt before so they don't really know no, what this is what they have worth. a crap ton of money so they weren't really thinking and bother about those things but um so they did buy it at inflated prices on bother um but one one account states that when the Malians find out that the Egyptians were purposefully um, inflating, inflating prices. the prices, they begin to view them as dishonest people. Okay. So they don't trust Egyptians again. But <clears throat> I'm sure it, 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 it will make the Malians feel better in the future. Well, speaking from their past in the future, when they find out what they eventually did to the Egyptian economy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so they spent so much money, so, so much money, Mansa Musa and his people, that they... They wrecked the value of gold in the in um, Egypt and parts of the Middle East. Yeah. So they made they they dropped its its value dropped and didn't recover for about twelve years. What? Good. Yes. So for about twelve years, gold was not a, a very precious. yeah. It, it was, was not a common precious commodity. There was a common precious commodity. <laughs> If you wanted your gold, if you're Egyptian and wanted your gold to be valuable, you might as well get out of there and go go find some other country to live in because yeah. you're buying stuff over there. You, yeah. Wow. So that that was that was that was how much gold he had with him. So when you see them talking about um, hundred um, hundreds of camels with hundreds of loads of gold, each about three hundred pounds, mm-hmm. you understand the, yes. the weight of it because. It's it's not like he he ruined the economy of a city. He ruined the economy okay. of an entire nation. That's and not just the nation, but parts of the region mm-hmm. connected to the, the nation. nation. Yeah. So he shattered it essentially for twelve years. And they thought they were cheating. 
yeah his people yeah because he wanted to make a statement he shattered their economy <laughs> yeah so that that was um, that was very nice of him but he loved it anyway because he made that statement yeah for people to remember who he was and who Mali was i mean we know him now yes we know him now because of that so if i ask you mention a king from west africa no one is going to tell me um what's he called sunjata keita no. even though he formed the mali empire <laughs> that's true everyone is going to go oh yeah masa musa the richest yes. guy in the world sort of thing yeah so um the what he did in egypt would spread out news would spread out a lot mm-hmm. and then the europeans will also hear of it okay and they'll start to think of west africa some sort of el dorado oh god so he he is indirectly to blame (laughs) for everything we've been through well um i don't know if there's a direct link but you can argue that there is because because of what he did the europeans would envision um west africa as a really wealthy place of course um so there is there is a a map Mm -hmm. called the catalan atlas and it's included it was drawn in um, 1375 um decades after his uh hajj, his hajj yeah and uh, it's, it's a picture a lot of people have seen it's the one of masam uh, it's like masam was holding a golden nugget mm-hmm. on the map so mali was indicated on the map which was the first time that was done oh okay so that was how that was how how big an impression he made statement so his his journey was part religious journey mm-hmm. parts um statement statement and sure he killed both of it ah. he killed every aspect of it and that's that's what we've come to associate with him okay he got up from his house he said i'm great you know yeah i want everyone to know i'm great mm-hmm. so he got up he went to mecca came back and the whole world has known he's great centuries later that's that that that's a big statement. That's serious influence. Yeah, that that's massive. And when when he was um when he went on the journey mm-hmm. on the way back, he came with uh, scholars and architects. Okay. To come to back to know, his, his empire. Yes, to come back to his empire to um add more to it okay. he was Mansa Musa was a smart man he was he was really smart really? he he was he could speak arabic even though he was mali and at that point in time um not a lot of west africans spoke arabic other languages i'm guessing yeah but he could he could speak it hmm. i mean it speaks to how devout he was as a muslim as well yeah. i guess yeah yeah it does that's crazy so well this this we've covered the reason we all know him yeah but is there anything else i mean you sort of hinted that he was actually should i say a good ruler because he thought about future generations of malians who would want to take yeah. the trip yeah. build places for them to be able to lodge yeah that was that he's a visionary i mean he came back with people to improve his empire yes yes so one of the um, the cities he conquered so right let me give you I mentioned earlier that he was powerful militarily. Yes. So the two cities that two other places he conquered, um, Timbuktu and Gao. Okay. He wasn't around when they were conquered. He had set up the Hajj pilgrimage and he left his general to go and conquer the place. Oh, wow. Yes, he was so revered that he went away for a year, told his general, go and do this. He put his son on the throne. 
and he came back and everything was returned to him okay so In nobody tried nobody tried anything anything okay not at all <laughs> they all just um did as they were supposed to that's nice and so when he when he was coming when he was on the trip um mm. to the hajj he heard that um timbuktu and gal were conquered okay. the two cities so on the way back he when he was returning with his architects and scholars from um the middle east he came and then he he stopped by timbuktu and gal and he built mosques in both places okay and he also built um what would become the first universities in timbuktu and he essentially um laid the foundation for timbuktu to become a great scholarly city okay well just to yeah timbuktu would become eventually a mind-blowing place we'll do an episode on that that's, i'm sure but that's, but that's a serious impact he had on the region yeah and he and not, not just in terms of the um learning too mm-hmm. in terms of um uh, buildings so the architects he comes with yes. they build um mosques and palaces mm-hmm. for him but did he live long um mansa musa died around the age of 57 i believe Oh. Um yes. That so that that that's that's Mansa Musa and his Hajj pilgrimage. Lesson in greatness. Lesson in greatness. So that's that's in this episode unlike the previous one we've sort of sprinkled the lesson along. Yes. As we went with it. That's because of we couldn't just put finish it and put it aside. Yeah, we had yeah. to mention it. The scope of this one was larger than the other one I'm guessing. Well, and also i mean the what 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 mansa musa was doing was the point of or at least the way i see it with his greatness was he he got up and then he sorted it out mm-hmm. you know he sorts out the greatness i think i remember uh, watching a video when they were asking what makes someone great and then they were using uh, uh, alexander the great and someone else as examples mm-hmm. mansa musa wasn't in there but it was a white man's video so okay, that's understandable <laughs> I was going to ask like, after hearing all this yeah, who wouldn't put him, put in, him there? in there because uh, yeah that's why we have to tell our own stories mm-hmm. if it was a black person Mansa Musa would definitely, definitely show up in, show in there yeah but anyway um, he got up and then he sought out the greatness and he ended up getting it yeah. so much so that he had an impact for hundreds of years till now when people try to think of Mansa, think of wealth they think of Mansa Musa But I should mention something about him. It's a good thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Not entirely a good thing, but you let's It doesn't see. take away from him. It doesn't take away from Okay, in a sense it kind of does. Oh my god. But okay. all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh Mansa Musa um his pilgrimage mm-hmm. the, while it, while it had the impact that he wanted it to have. It didn't resonate that way with everyone. So So when when the historians were piecing together bits about Mansa Musa, they largely relied on um, Arab historians, Arab chroniclers from back then, because the Arabs loved to write things. Okay. So they recorded it. Yeah. So they recorded a lot of Mansa Musa's uh, stories, and you know, in like um, some of the universities he built, some of the things, so mm-hmm. discuss things like that. They love they love to discuss a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, back in um, the golden age of Islam. So that was one that was the main source for what 
the, we know about, about Masa him. Musa today, okay. the Arab chronicler. So thank you, Arab people. But <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, you'd you'd expect that the most of the things we know from him will come from his own people, mm-hmm. their storytellers. They can tell you things about a lot of kings. The griots. Yes, the griots. Okay. They can tell you stories about um Sunjata Keita. They can tell you about his uh, Masa Musa's predecessor, Abu Bakar. Okay. They can tell you about his successor, his son, Magan or Suleiman, anyone. But the funny thing was that um the historians realized that they were not in the oral traditions. Mm-hmm. They rarely came across stories about Mansa Musa. Oh, yes. Okay, so his own people didn't have that many stories. Of his him. own people that didn't have that many stories of him compared to other rulers, and the reason p- people believe that the reason for that was because the griots mm-hmm. and um, the common folk at that point in time didn't quite see Masa Musa as a great person everyone else saw him as. You know, I mentioned earlier this divide this, yeah. between the nobility and the common folk. Okay. So his does his devout Muslim nature have anything to do with exactly. it? Exactly. Okay. So at that point in time, Islam had not penetrated the common folk okay. like that. It was mainly nobility and royalty. And most of the kings before Mansa Musa were not so devout, devout like yeah, him. You mentioned that too. Yes. But this was someone who came and even though they were devout, they, they were Muslim, some of them to some extent, they still had um, kept bits of the old traditional life. Okay. They would do certain things and all of that. But mm-hmm. this guy came and he was not essentially doing those things. So to the common folk and the griots, this was someone who came and he started, he just discarded the ways of the old oh, people. So he's a sellout. He was a sellout essentially to them. So the common folk in his eyes, in their eyes, he was a sellout. Okay. And more than just that, he he also when he decided to go on his magnificent pr stunt Mm -hmm. he took a lot of gold with him okay so to some of the griots too they saw that as him being unnecessarily wasteful okay so he was being extravagant yes taking money from the imperial treasury for no good reason they Uh, they didn't see see the the reason reason for for that i see i see yes Okay, so if it wasn't for Arab scholars, if it wasn't for the Arab scholars, we wouldn't quite know the details of it. We'd still have known because yeah. Europeans still found out. We so know, we'd still have so known. we'd know him, but we wouldn't know the details. Yes, because his own people would have discarded. Yes, his own people would have discarded him, which is which is um, is quite is quite an unfortunate thing to be honest. I, I mean, I wish I wish his own people didn't do that. Too. Yeah, I don't think he was bothered though. I don't think it happened in his lifetime. Okay. It probably happened after him. But so was it he did, did he negatively impact because he said he ruled at the peak of the empire. Yeah. So that denotes there was a dwindle after him. Mm, um the Mali Empire peaked with Mansa Musa and uh, soon after his death his decline started. But okay. after he died, mm-hmm. his son took over Magan and um he was not the smartest of person Aish. <laughs> he he liked he he liked to waste money this guy um magan i actually haven't even come across a lot of him like when you when you look at magan a lot of the things i see about him is just like short criticism oh like he liked to waste money that was all. not a good king oh that sort of thing like <laughs> that oh it's too bad. And the apple fell too far from massively the tree. far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Yeah, and I think he's he's one of the few of the 
the the Malian or West African king that description was given for. Okay. Um, and one of the Egyptians uh, recorded the description talking about um, him being a what I think it was a, a handsome brown-skinned man or something like that. Uh, so dude, dude had everything. Uh, he was smart. He was rich, and then he was fine as well. Yeah, the man was. He was. He was everything, man. Like, okay, I mean, I, I now I understand what's happened with his son. I mean, it's, <laughs> he, he can't cheese the entire world like that. I had to skip a generation. A guy. Yeah, the 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 universe decided to balance things. I was okay. like, nah, man, we can't do that. Nah, <laughs> too much of a cheese character. Well. So yes, um, I guess that ends today's episode mm-hmm. of Masa Musa and a lesson in greatness. So, what's going to be the next episode then? Well, um, okay, we're going we to do, do that thing where you tease <coughs> which part of Africa is going to come from again. We, we could do that, we could do that. Um, sure, let's 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 we are going okay, right now we're in West Africa, yeah. Okay, so we're just like like running across the continent, we're, okay. we're going all the way east, okay. So, we are. We are going towards like the right running, side. Yeah, running okay. towards the right side. So that's what we're heading to now. I so wonder th- what to come out of there. But then I guess we'll find out soon. Yes. And if you want to find out, um, make sure you're following our social media pages mm-hmm. on Twitter at? At Africa's Untold S. Great. Yeah, at, you remember it. Yes. <laughs> and um, at... <laughs> at Instagram on Africa's Untold Stories. Yeah, that yes. should be easier for you to remember. Yes, on Instagram at Africa's Untold Stories. And uh, you know, he'll just have a link below. Yes, that it's, it's link down there. It's in the description, so you can just get to it. Yes. Okay. So, um, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Was this one even a week after the first one? We'll pretend it's a week after the first one, yeah. So next week.